What's up, guys? It's David Hess from the Rising Above podcast. Have you ever thought or dreamed about starting a podcast? Well, look no further. Anchor has all the tools necessary to record a podcast from your computer or phone. You heard that right. They make it so simple. When you host your podcast on Anchor, they will distribute your podcast on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Honestly, it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place, which is why I host on Anchor. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hey everyone, welcome to the Rising Above podcast, a platform for you to share your story. Oftentimes, we all have something that happens to us in life and we have no way of sharing. Many people want an outlet, whether it's writing a book or going on a massive networking platform or starting an inspirational social media account. With the Rising Above platform, anyone with an inspiring, motivating, or interesting story can come on and share. It could be anything from the struggles of starting a business, the struggles of overcoming homelessness or mental illness. I've interviewed victims of rape, sexual assault, and abuse. There is no subject that is off limits. This platform offers a safe and fun way for you to share your story through a one-on-one experience. If you would like to share your story, the best way to reach out would be through social media. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook or through email. All the links will be provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening. All right. Welcome to the Rising Above podcast. My name is David Hess, and today I have Dara Mayho with me. Uh, She is a double entrepreneur here in the Lansing area. Uh, She has gone through a lot of pain and struggle in her lifetime, and I guess without me talking too much about it, I don't want to steal her thunder. I'll uh, have her introduce herself and explain a little bit about her past. How are you doing today? I'm great, David. Thank you so much for asking, and thank you so much for inviting me here. Glad to be here. Um, Yeah, Dara Mayho, Lansing native. I'm from (laughs) Lansing, born and raised. I'm kind of dipped off a couple times, moved to a couple um, surrounding cities here. Uh, but yeah, I'm a Lansing native, double entrepreneur, just doing my thing here in Lansing, and I'm just glad to be here. Now, um, you said you're from the Lansing area. You were born and raised here, correct? Yeah, born and raised. Wow. Uh, what is, what, how do you like Lansing? I love Lansing. You know, a lot of people feel like, you know, especially if they were born here, Mm -hmm. you know, feel like maybe their um, experiences made them want to move away or try new things. But my perspective on it is, you know, whether my experiences were good or bad, you know, what's my place in making it better? So I'm all about, um, as I learned a quote from my good friend, bloom where you're planted. And I was planted in Lansing, and I'm just so grateful to be blooming here. And so I just really want to be an integral role of just making the thing better. You know, what can I do? I wake up every day and I say, Lord, what can I do to make this a better place? And I, I think you're doing just that by, uh, you know, having the two businesses that you have and employing other people and being able to uh, uh, inspire other people that work for you and because yeah. they obviously look at you and can see some of the things that you've gone through and be like, wow, she's really come somewhere. Yeah. So uh, I guess with that being said, um, do you want to kind of take us back and talk about some of the pain and struggle that uh, you've endured and then we'll kind of get get into where you are now? Mm-hmm, sure. Yep, so um, like I said, I'm born and raised here in Lansing, and um, my background was a bit unstable, you know, um, moved a lot, experienced foster care, 
I was, I don't like to say I was a bad kid because I don't believe in bad kids. I think kids make bad choices, but I really don't think <laughs> I was a bad kid. <laughs> um, but I did, I had a lot of um, adversity and things that made me different that made kids tease me and bully me. Like, I mean, relentlessly tease me and bully me. About what? Oh, my goodness. Such a good <laughs> question, David. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, you know, kids are just sometimes mean anyway, so we got teased for being poor, so like I didn't come to school with the greatest clothes or whatever, but my mom did the best that she could, and whatever those threads were, she would steam it up, put a crease in it, uh, <laughs> put a cuff or whatever she had to do to um, make it better, but um, I experienced alopecia when I was like 12. Me too. No way, Me David. Too. Oh my, <laughs> like, super love. Um, but yeah, I experienced alopecia. It's embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah, especially really Especially at a young age. And especially imagine being a girl. Yeah. Because like a, a boy can just shave his head and mm -hmm. look better. But with a girl, you, you know, it's yep. quite noticeable. Yeah, sure. And so like kids used to tease me really bad. Like I acquired names like um, Baldy Locks, um, like the bald-headed girl, um, you know, all kinds of questions, you know, do you have cancer? Do you this? Do you that? You know, what why is your hair like that? What do you think the, what, why do you think that was? Why do you think you had alopecia? Because when I had it, it was due to stress. Mm -hmm. Was it, was it stress? You know, it probably was. They never really put their finger on it. Okay. Um, and I know they say alopecia is irreversible or incurable or, but I grew out of it. I Me grew too. out of it. Yeah. See, <laughs> by the grace. Yes. <laughs> And so I grew out of it, but during that period, okay, so during that period of time, I um, I was experiencing alopecia, and then I also went half blind in my left eye, and then um, we were homeless at the time, mm. and it was just a cocktail of reasons to just be angry at the world, angry at my situation, angry with people, period. Now, homeless, you mean you guys were living on the streets? Well, we weren't necessarily living on the streets, mm -hmm. but um, that's what I thank God about Lansing. L people can put Lansing down if they want to, but Lansing has been um, just, man, just so resourceful. There's so many resources that we were able to use in Lansing. Okay. So even though we had a lot of hardships, there were a lot of resources that we used. So I remember nights of staying at the Economic Crisis Center out in East Lansing or staying at Loaves and Fishes or um, the other shelters that were available. So there was always somewhere that we went, mm -hmm. even if it was a shelter. We n I don't remember any nights of sleeping in our car. Maybe one night we did, we had this big hoopty station wagon, and <laughs> but it was fun to me and my sister. We were like, <laughs> hey, party over here. And um, we had a family friend because we also, we were homeless and we didn't actually have a car. So we were blessed with that car. Like the week that we became homeless, probably for the fifth time at that time. And I was about 10 years old or 12 years old. And um, I remember being in this big old station wagon, and it was only like a night or two that we had to stay in that car. Right. But like me and my sister were like super buddies, and we were like, this is the life, you know? <laughs> and so I thank God because some- It's like camping. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yup. And so even though it was, a, it was a struggle for my mom and my stepdad at the time, um, it didn't really seem that bad because the spirit of it all didn't bring us down. And I do thank God for that, um, that 
they didn't make it seem to us that we were in such a struggle that we were yeah um but yeah so like i went blind half blind in my left eye i had alopecia we were homeless and then like for whatever other reasons kids just wanted to pick on me and that made me very angry and so um that kind of developed a very violent spirit and i'm not gonna say it developed because it was a choice i had a choice whether i was going to snap off or i would you know have self-control and try to deal with it the best that I could but Mm -hmm. I wasn't you know as a kid then I wasn't as strong as I am now so the answer to all that was (laughs) laid them hands okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) y'all and so that really resulted in some of my um, uh, instability because the way that I responded to those adversities made me have to move around because of the fights I had to go to a different school because of um, some of the behaviors that I was exhibiting at home. Um, to be honest, even at this age, I'm 42 now, and I, I still wonder where, if I was, and I don't know if it was a, it's a guilt or if I'm holding myself accountable, but I often wonder, um, did I play a role in my transition to foster care? Um, because at that time when I went to foster care, I was a behaviorally challenged kid. I did give my mom a hard time. Um, my mom was a single parent, you know. Um, there was some things that I probably could have done better. Now, would it have resulted in, like, the disruption in our family, being with complete strangers? And, I mean, like, not strangers that took care of me, but strangers that almost made the situation worse. Like, it snowballed into some other stuff, you know, in certain homes. Not all mm-hmm. of them, um, but, you know, I often wonder, you know, did I play a role or what was my role in that? And um, I think in the most humble of ways, God has even shown me some ways that I could have responded better, you know, that may have brought some hardships to my mom. And so in the place that I'm at at 42 years old, you know, because if we're still living, and we have um, a way to make it right with the people that we may have had transgressions with, Mm -hmm. then that still leaves that space to make it right. Um, And so I do thank God that I have a very close-knit relationship with my mother. Um, I have a relationship with my father that's developing. Um, And even as we continue on with the story of my own children, you know, I have a great relationship with my children, you know. So I have just learned to just look at situations for what they are, try to find the good in it all, you Mm -hmm. know, even if that good kind of stings a little bit, you know, because I do believe that there's purpose in our pain. Um, and I do believe in humility, and I think some of my um, growth has been attributed to just looking at, like, sis, you ain't all that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) There are some things that you could have done better, so just really taking this time to just really evaluate my life and even um, places that I have grown from to really um, put, connect the dots and, you know, all that and see how it all ties together. (sighs) That's a lot. That is Um, a lot. So kind of unpacking that a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. did you ever express to your your, fa- your parents that you were being bullied and whatnot at school? Yeah, I did. Was, was anything ever done about that? No, um, because, and I'll tell you, <laughs> 
No, in my in my way of looking at it, it doesn't look like there was any resolution um, initiated. But as I get older and I understand the struggle of some of the ones that came before me, I understand because if they had junk in their trunk, how in the <laughs> world would they process having a kid that was junky too? <laughs> you know, so right. it's like it's been a very merciful process. It's a it's a vicious circle. Yep. I mean, unfortunately, you know, when you ha- you're dealing with a bunch of damaged people, mm-hmm. adults, and True then that. they have kids. Their kids eventually become damaged, yeah. and then just the cycle keeps repeating yeah. itself. Yeah. History repeats. Yeah. You know. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And, and, and it takes a real, like, real uh, uh, initiative, you know, and you realizing that there's an issue for you to want to change. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. That's key right there. You know, you have to realize that you have an issue. Yeah. If you don't think anything is broken, what are you going to fix? Right. Nothing. Yeah. And and you realized uh, eventually that you had anger issues yeah. or y- you needed to deal with things a certain way, a yeah. different way. Yeah, and it wasn't then. It was a long time okay. past 12 and 14 years old that I realized that I had a problem and right. I needed help. And um, I was probably, it was probably um, 15 years past then, mm. you know, that I actually realized, you know what, Dara? You know, if you're having the same issue in the, you know, it may not be that you're the cause of it, but certainly the way that we respond to adversity could either um, grow the fire or it can, um, what word am I looking for? But it could put the fire out, you know, and I think that the way... (laughs) that I was responding to a lot of it. I was I wasn't a fire starter, but baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm glad that I did mature to a point of being able to see, you know, some of my own flaws and faults and be able to um just kind of surrender to self control. Now, you had said that you had been incarcerated before. Mm-hmm. Do you think that I mean, I, I, I want you to tell your story, but mm-hmm. do you think that your anger and the way you, like your past and the way you had to deal with things led you to to that point? Baby. <laughs> do I think? <laughs> Whew, it was the culprit of it all. It was the culprit of it all um, because most of my incarcerations was due to um, lack of self-control, violent behavior. Um now, in, when you say you're you were incarcerated, did you ever go to prison or were you in just jail? What was your incarceration for? Mm-hmm. So that's a good question because incarceration can mean prison or a jail sentence. Mm-hmm. And by the grace of God, and I'm gonna say that and only that by the grace of God, I didn't make it to prison mm-hmm. because when I I've, I've always heard people say things that I thought was crazy, right? Like. Oh, Jesus showed up in the courtroom and he <laughs> and I'm like, OK, yeah, there's Jesus standing there next to the lawyer defending you. But really, honestly, I may not have saw him with my visual eyes, but I felt them in the courtroom because I was literally David. I was literally on my way to prison. They had already determined because I wasn't going to plead guilty. I wasn't going to plead guilty. I wasn't guilty. I felt like I was defending myself, which I was. But the the question was, did you have to defend yourself like that, you know? Right. And right. so when I went to court, I was ready to be sentenced to 
if I can remember right, it was either two to five or five to ten. I'm gonna just say two to five to just not exaggerate the story. Right. <coughs> Which and means you're serving five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and especially if you're not going in to take a plea deal and you, because I right. was gonna take it to trial, and I went in ready to plead not guilty, and the judge was like, "Wait a minute. Hold up. Wait. Halt. Hold up." One of the victims who I had viciously stabbed, um, between the two, it was seven or eight times. Um, and the second victim wrote a letter to the judge and said that if she hadn't um, involved herself, in the quarrel, because it was a quarrel between myself and another person, mm. if she hadn't involved herself in the quarrel, she wouldn't have been um, injured. That was probably one of the most humble experiences I've had in my whole life. Did he Did he read it in the courtroom? He didn't read it in the courtroom, and I wish to this day I could have heard the words that were expressed. Yeah. But he said he just kind of reiterated what the letter okay. said, um, and I was so relieved. Um, because how, how did that leave you feeling when w- with the victim that you had stabbed? Respect. Respect. A whole lot of respect. A whole lot of respect because I knew I was guilty because I did it. Right. But I felt a sense of just like, man, is anybody going to stand up and say that I really was defending myself? I mean, like my defense attorney couldn't even really fight for <laughs> me. I mean, he was like a court appointment. <laughs> He's like, you did it. <laughs> right. I mean, what are you? You're, you're yeah. going to prison. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, you know, sucks to be you. Oh, and man. so I just felt so relieved. I felt so relieved. And I felt so grateful, and that showed me something about people. That showed me that everybody isn't vindictive. Everybody doesn't want payback. Everybody doesn't want to take matters into their own hands. Mm -hmm. And when that person sent that letter to the judge, that was um, a clear indication of the grace, favor, and mercy that was on my life because I truly should have been headed to prison. And so because they didn't give me that two to five or five to ten or whatever it was that they were trying to give me, mm-hmm. I ended up getting one year in the county, wow. in the county jail. And so I served my one year. And back then, I know there's some stuff going on right now about good time and all that. But, hey. Hey, right here. Give me that. <laughs> I need that. Yes, good time, good sense. Yes. Yep. I was um, I was a recipient of good time. You know, okay, and so I got yep. two months shaved off of my sentence, and I only did ten months. You know, and it was um, it was bittersweet because as we move on to into my interview, I'll um, explain how it affected my family. You know, but it was bittersweet because I wasn't sent to prison. Right. Um, it it was sweet because I didn't get sent to prison, right. but it was bitter because of some of the other um consequences that I had to deal with. But yes. Yeah, so Real that quick, what's your opinion on this? I, I obviously you are kind of pro. Good time makes good sense. Yeah, come on. Yeah. I, but I know I know a lot a lot of people. And this is the argument. Mm-hmm. If you did something, let's say you stabbed somebody, mm-hmm. like you stabbed my family member, mm-hmm. and a lot of people would have the feeling that, all right, you said my family member, so you deserve to go to jail and serve the full amount of time that you were you were given yeah. for doing wrong. 
What's your opinion on that? Mm-hmm. My opinion, David, is it's a case-by-case situation. It depends on who the person is. What type of progress are you making when you're locked up? You know, because they say fake it till you make it, but you <laughs> re- you really can't fake good character because at the end of the day, it comes to a head if mm-hmm. you're faking. You know, it may take a while, but it comes to a head if you're faking. I had uh, Adam Grant on the podcast. I don't know if you know who he is. I don't. Um, he's doing some um, w- some work with uh, I don't. He's not working with Good Time Makes Good Sense, but he's working with some other um, local nonprofits and mm-hmm. whatnot. And uh, he was saying that you know you can fake it till you make it until you go to prison. Yeah. And then you can't. Yep, exactly. <laughs> you know, you're kind of met out ahead at that yeah, point. Yeah. Yep. And so I don't know that experience. You know about you know what it's like when you go to prison, but I know what Good Time means. When you're in any, I'm just going to say my lockup situation because I was um, I was a habitual offender and I still didn't go to prison. But when I got when I got sentenced to that um, offense mm-hmm. at that time, I was a habitual. So even with that letter, the judge could have still looked at me and said, you know what? This is your reputation. I don't care what type of letter they're sending right you need to go and learn a lesson but i i didn't have to beg for grace i didn't have to beg for mercy it was all set up for me there but when it comes to good time making good sense i couldn't have said it better because when you go to a lockup situation i'm just going to use myself again as an example okay when i got locked up it wasn't a whole lot that I could do with my time. I didn't, I knew even in some of the worst decisions that I had made, I knew I wasn't that person. I knew I was making bad choices, but even sitting in the crack house slanging dope, I had a conscience in me that said, Sierra, that's not you. Even in the instance of that violent behavior, I felt regretful, even remorseful, even in the act. But at the same time, when you don't have a lack of, when you don't have self-control, really that's kind of overpowering you. Can we talk about that for a minute? Mm -hmm. So when you're doing all that, Mm -hmm. when you're slinging dope, you're in a crack house, whatever, what, what is, you said you, you know, you're better than that. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you just can't do better than that? And that's why you're still doing that? Or is that, do you, do you believe you're just a product of your environment and the the way you grew up and what the environment you grew up in kind of put you in that, in that position? So you just kind of remain in that position because obviously that's not who you are. Mm -hmm. You're not doing that now. You're, you're, you're a double business owner. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, so David, I would, um, I would almost say for me, it was more of being a product of my environment because the environment of um, that I was in said that <coughs> no one cares about you or you're not special enough because going back to those um, foster care moments and even, I mean, I had went to juvenile detention even in the ninth grade for having a loaded Glock at school. Oh, jeez. Yeah, we skipped <laughs> that part. Uh, that was well before the stabbing incident, wow. you know. So I was in all of these situations that said, Dara, you're not good enough. They don't believe you. They don't. And so I was so wrapped up in what the world thought because, again, I was young, immature, and didn't have my own relationship with God that I have right now. So I was depending on what the world thought about me. And so I became a product of my environment. Well, probably 
because you felt so disrespected from your peers mm-hmm. and people made fun of you all the time. So you yeah. wanted some respect. Exactly. Yep. I'm like, <laughs> y'all gonna put some respect on it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Why did you take a Glock to school? <laughs> Were you gonna shoot somebody? So um, I didn't take a Glock to school. Um, okay. Again, in that vein of wanting to be accepted and I'm I'm the cool girl. Don't mess with me. You know, you'll <laughs> learn about me. And um, I was just in the wrong group, hanging with the wrong kids at the wrong time. And because I wanted to make a name for myself, one of my friends did come to school with a load of Glock. And they um, caught wind of it. And um, in an effort to cover him up, I took the rap. You know, I well, wow. I didn't take I didn't take the rap. I actually took possession of the gun. And then somebody snitched on me. Oh. Yeah. Somebody knew he had it. Which was like it was a messy situation or whatever. <laughs> they they were mad at me because they thought that I was his girlfriend, but really he was my homeboy. I, I kind of <laughs> wanted to be one of the homeboys. I'm like the girls don't like me, so what's up, fellas? You know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a messy situation, and it just kind of turned into a just a, um, a, a mess. And they snitched on me, you know, which was actually looking back, if my kid was at a school and some girl had a big duffel bag purse with a loaded Glock. I mean, it was literally the same handgun that the police had on their hip. Mm. And so that was a dangerous situation. That was a very dangerous situation. And so I was apprehended at school um, in front of everybody. How embarrassing. Yeah. The (laughs) secretary at school was my grandmother who was – a missionary at the time, I want to say, oh, at a wow. local church. Yep. And so her friend worked in the office and she just held her head down. She was so, she was so heartbroken to see precious little oh Dara from the church be taken <laughs> away in a cop car. And yep, I spent a couple of months in the um, Ingham County Youth Center after that. Yep. And so that was after foster care and all of that stuff. I, I think it might have been before. I can't even, there was so many events around that time. But yeah, so. It was just a matter of my environment, wanting to be the cool kid, mm-hmm. wanting to um, prove to people that you don't mess with me. Right. Um, but I, I honestly don't really regret it because um, if I hadn't had those experiences, how would I have a passion right now for the kids that are making the same choices, for the moms that are having parenting issues, for the moms that have trouble um, you know, providing for their children mm-hmm. and having a hard time if they become homeless and how it will affect their children right. and all of that. So I see it coming full circle. I really well, do. You definitely can't regret your past. Uh, yeah. And that's, <coughs> and that's one thing I think a lot of people get tied up in. They get, they'll, they'll hold regret to things that they did in their past. And the the only thing you can do is learn from your past. Exactly. And if you don't learn from your past, then you're doing something wrong. Exactly. If, you, if you're just continuing that circle and, you know, you made a mistake at 15 you, or whatever, how old you were when you brought that gun to school and you, yep. sti- you still are making that mistake and you haven't yes. learned from it, then you should regret your past exactly. a little bit. But but you know if you if you've learned from it you definitely shouldn't regret it yep. cuz that's made you who you are. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You It's a lot, baby. This is a lot. Yeah. And we're not even halfway through your story. <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy. So you've been incarcerated quite a few times. One yeah. time you went to ju- the juvenile facility for bringing a loaded g- or not you didn't bring it but you had a loaded gun in your possession. Mm-hmm. Um you've gone to jail for stabbing somebody. What else have you gone to jail for? Well, you know, it was pretty much mostly I mean, you know, some stuff you don't tell, David. <laughs> <laughs> 
Whoa. I'll just say I have a rap sheet that you could probably make into a skirt. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> All 10 pages. But, you know, I don't even feel like the same person. I feel like a brand new woman. Um, Some things, I'll even admit, some things that are on my um criminal history, I tend to be ashamed of because I see God um, working on me. It's a it's a process, you know. It's mm-hmm. not like some things are sudden, and some we're healed as we go. Right. And I see some of that healing is as I go. Um, <clears throat> I can't say that there's anything that I haven't ever shared with anyone, um, but it depends on the case. If it's a situation and it's very intimate, and I mm-hmm. see that it's desperately needs my testimony right and then i share it you know um but there are some things that i have just like lord you gonna have to humble me in a (laughs) mighty way (laughs) to make me share that you know and i think almost everybody has that same you know and nobody's just a completely open Mm -hmm. book you know right um, because then we do open ourselves up for, you know, just whatever may come. Right. So I'm very. Um, yeah, you get you got to kind of you can't can't go around telling everything. Mm-hmm. I, I yep, get that. Yep. Yeah. But most of my incarcerations were all circumferenced around violent um, behaviors. I have been in domestic abuse situations. Um, to where I tend to be an advocate for domestic abu- abuse, but I also tend to be um, <clears throat> an advocate based on my own experience because my own experience wasn't just as being the victim. I was also the aggressor mm. at some times because, again, that was before I was uh, delivered from that violent behavior. So. Mm. I had I still had that mindset. Okay, you come for me, I'm coming back for you, baby. <laughs> and you better hope that I don't come to you h- stronger than you did before because I had a mindset at sometimes of even wanting to see you die. And I just thank God because there's no way like it's just such a different spectrum of thinking, you know, mm-hmm. to be in one point of saying, "You know what? You hurt me." And so now I want to see you die or suffer badly to a point of now in my life, I say, you know what? There is no hurt. There's no depth of hurt that you could do to me to make me want to have that type of vengeance. In fact, there is really because I'm still dealing with some things now that even happens to me as a Christian with Christian people, you know, that make me be like, oh, Jesus, I didn't know. I thought it was going to be green grass and bunny (laughs) hopping. But that's not the story. And I think that's what builds our Christian character when we can take persecution, you know, and we can come out of it and say, you know what? It's not my job to have vengeance with you. The word says vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So I just, it almost brings you to a point of not wanting to revenge but also to a point of sorrow because no one succeeds by doing bad um, or um, or hurt mm-hmm. or um, just anything that doesn't do well for someone. We're, God doesn't repay us with good for doing bad to people, even when people do bad to us, you know. And so I turn just, the other cheek. Yep, that's right. You know, and that's easier said than done. That's <laughs> <laughs> even that if even if you don't really, if you're not religious, it's always good yep. to just turn the other cheek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because 
I mean, somebody may say something to you, but it's never good to, to react back. True because story. Because then it's just, it's going to go nowhere. Or yeah. it's going to go somewhere and it's going to land you in jail yeah. <laughs> or something. Yeah, Somewhere exactly. you don't want to be. Exactly. Yeah. So I, w- I would say that, um, yeah, uh, of all of the <laughs> lockups and incarcerations and all of that, and it's just so funny because people will still hold you accountable for the things that you've gone through even if you have changed mm-hmm. and 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 we don't have to know that a person has changed right just because we know their background i, I i'll never forget david <coughs> i'm working on a big project right now right cool and i like de- hearing that <laughs> <laughs> and it, it deals a lot with my testimony and i it, it took for me to go back to the lansing police department and ask for some of my records and when they looked at those records, they oh looked boy. at me, and it was a Friday because I don't go into my office on Friday, and so I'm much more casual on Fridays with my baseball <laughs> cap and my T-shirt and <clears throat> my sweats or whatever. And so I come in, and so I don't look like a businesswoman, oh but whatever. Boy. Do you have to look like a business person to be respected? And so I come in, and I ask for my records. And so when they pull up my stuff, you know, I'm sure they were like, oh, wow, you uh, know. We should throw her in cuffs right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so the officer on site asks in the most just disrespectful mm. way, so what are you doing with yourself now? What? Yep. So what are you doing with yourself now? Because I was requesting those records. So I could have been requesting those records um, for whatever reason. Right. In their eyes, it may have been to, I don't know. And when I, when they gave me that attitude, I said to myself, well, what you're telling me is you don't believe that anything has changed mm-hmm. the way that you're asking me. And I could have pridefully said Everything that's going on with me, all right. the impressive, glittery stuff that's going on. And you know what? I had to humble myself because I probably would have been arrogant in my response. And I said, you know, I just don't have time to tell you all the good <laughs> stuff I'm doing right now. Yeah. And she just looked at me like, mm, whatever. OK. And that reminds me, too, of a story about my kid, my kid in the sixth first grade or something he had a little tiff or whatever something really petty in his class and um, I just saw that it just wasn't the right class for him and so we decided to switch classes for him and that was the same response that the teacher had when we chose to switch his classes his class and she said I said um he'll do better in another class or something I said and she goes oh we'll see Well, that first grader who is now a freshman in college also has a testimony that he's never had any significant problems in high school. To my knowledge, when I mentioned it to him before, he was like, Mom, I think I had one situation. Well, we got (laughs) to ponder on it. It wasn't that deep. A kid that really never had any suspensions or anything that set him back from excelling. And so that whole, we'll see, or what are you doing with yourself now? All that, that just was fuel to my fire. That was fuel to my fire to say it doesn't matter what the haters think or expect. Baby, you get out there and and wherever you're at, you knock that ball out the park. Because at the end of the day, when you're pleased and God is pleased with what you're doing, it doesn't matter what other people think. Because whether you do good or bad, somebody always has something to say. Someone always has something to say (laughs) regardless. And the thing is, is when people see you doing good, 
then they really have something to say. Yeah. Because people don't like seeing people doing good. Yep. People are uh, just haters. Yeah. But I in um, <laughs> kind of the devil's advocate, do you think in the pr the police officer's perspective, or I'm assuming it was a police officer that you mm -hmm. had talked to to get your records, mm -hmm. do you think with somebody like with your, your rap sheet, when they ca came in and asked for that, they pull that up. They see all these different things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I imagine it's just do, 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 do mm -hmm. all the way down the screen. Do you think that oftentimes they they kind of see a repeating cycle mm -hmm. to where you know people don't make it out. People mm -hmm. are just they keep doing the same thing yeah. and they they don't necessarily have um, the success that maybe you've had. Yeah. And so maybe they've kind of made a pre premature judgment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do. Um, I mean, not that it's right. No, it's th th not I don't. Right. I don't think it's okay to mm -mm. just assume things about people. I get what you're saying. Yeah. I get what you're saying. What you're saying because um, w a person with uh, 14 arrests, it may have been more. Um, but what I can recall counting because I literally did count each occurrence of arrest for someone that has a history of 14 arrests by the Lansing Police Department. Um, I can believe at the 14th arrest, they probably did say, you know what, she's not going to change. We're going to, I mean, they knew me by name. <laughs> they, they did. They knew me by name because, again, David, all of these arrests were within a three or four year time span. Mm. Mm -hmm. So they were in close proximity of each other a lot of times, um, especially in the domestic abuse um, situations. And it was a mutually abusive situation. They were right. coming. I mean, we weren't arrested every time, but like we were in contact with the police like every other week, Jeez. you know. Yeah. You know, so I mean, <coughs> but for a person that now tries to see good in every situation mm -hmm. i would hope that um law enforcement would try to be a little more empathetic when you do come in contact with someone right. even even if it's in an instance of um of arrest or or of booking or whatever right. that's a time to minister or encourage not you know like well you know what if you make me feel like i'm a butthole or i'm just mm -hmm. a problematic person right i already don't have confidence in myself and then you don't have confidence in me okay well you don't expect much of, it, of me anyway so when i go out and do the same thing it's not a big surprise well and i think that's what kind of brings a lot of the um tension between uh i guess people who the public and and police officers, mm -hmm. you know, like in a traffic stop or something, if some if a police officer pulls somebody over for, you know, like for instance, uh, who was telling me, um, crap, what's his name, um, Rich Griffin mm -hmm. from uh, Good Time Makes Good sure. Sense. Do you know who he is? I don't know him, but I was very intrigued by that interview. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So he was saying in the interview that you know he just gets pulled over because they they'll get behind him and see his record and they'll just pull him over, and I'm like. So if you pull somebody over because you, you see their record and you come up to the car and you already have an attitude with them because you're, what are you up to now? Mm -hmm. You know, like, what are you, exactly. what are you doing now? Mm -hmm. That kind of creates some tension between the person you pulled over and the, and the police officer. Mm -hmm. So then it kind of instigates yep. a certain narrative that could possibly come out of that situation. Sure. Yeah, I agree. I agree a lot. And um, I tend to use that same perspective with my sons. Um, just because I, my thing with them, I tell them all the time, you know what, you're guilty, 
just by you're you're guilty by appearance you're guilty by um the stereotype you know you're guilty by all these narratives you know that people use to say you're guilty because why because dark skin is intimidating um long hair plus dark skin is intimidating you know my youngest son who is <laughs> My little bundle of joy. No, I I should stop saying that because I think that's kind of <laughs> pushing him away. But he is just. How old is he? He's n- he'll be nineteen. Oh yeah, you should stop yeah. saying that. Okay, but here's <laughs> my baby David. Okay, that's a whole another podcast. But you know he um. For people who are stereotypical, um, look at people just by you know we size people up by the way that they look Mm -hmm. you know he is a very um fit buff male darker complected male with long locks you know has a very urban hip-hop look to himself but he's also a kid that has never experienced any type of encounter with police he's also a kid that's never really experienced any encounter with suspension and troubles and even just really troubles with his parents he's been a very good kid but what I have taught him is son we see that the world that we live in today we don't we don't think good first we think bad first you know and so we have all these conceptions and stuff and then we're guilty before we even know anything about so the main thing that I encourage is character I don't care what you look like son you can look like whoever you want to look like you make sure that you keep your character intact because at the end of the day I don't care who accuses you you just make sure that you are not guilty right yeah right yeah and I mean not to mention the fact that like let's say you do get pulled over by the police like for at least I know for me um, if I get pulled over and I'm not, I'm not a black man, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, there's still like a, a sense of like my, my nerves start going. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh boy, well, like what's going to happen? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily scared to get shot or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just, you, you did, you did something wrong yeah. possibly. Yeah. And, and now you're kind of, you're, you don't know what's going to mm-hmm. happen. It's, it's a scary situation. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know. <laughs> That's a lot to that's talk about. That is a lot, mm-hmm. and that's a whole other topic it on is. its own. Yeah, but but, but um, I I believe that you're raising your kids right too. And so I'm glad you say that, David, because at the end of the day, even with my experiences, and I ha- I also have a 24 year old son, a son that'll okay. be 25 in September. Yeah. And again, neither of my sons have ever had any experience with um being incarcerated. I don't know if my son, my oldest son has ever been, um, I'm sure he's been pulled over, but he's never been incarcerated. He's never been handcuffed or anything like right. that that I know of. I know if he's been in jail. <laughs> I don't know if old boy been handcuffed. I'm going to have to ask. But it, it's liberating. It feels good to know that with all of the experiences that I've had mm-hmm. with the police department, with incarcerations, the condition of the world that we're living in. I just thank God that until this point, I don't know what the future holds, but I thank God to this point that my sons and and all of my sons, because we have a beautiful blended family, you know, all of my sons from the youngest to the oldest 
don't have a testimony of um, like I have. And I'm, I'm, you know, girls kind of tend to be the softer ones and the <laughs> ones that um, experience less. You know, I kind of right. have a harder experience of stuff than my husband. And he's been <laughs> in the army and everything. But you know what? It's like, you know, hey, I'm glad I could use my testimony with my family to help um, encourage them and to mentor them yeah. in the right w- direction because yeah. I share all of my war stories with them. I don't hold anything back. Maybe with my daughter just because she's a little young right now and some stuff I just I don't think her tender spirit is e- able to even right. take it all in. Right. But with my older sons who are getting older, you know, I share my experiences with them because I would rather they be scared straight through my experiences right. yeah. than scared straight through the system and and it, it absolutely works because they can look at your life and be like i don't want yeah. my life to be like that mm-hmm. you know i want i want better and that's uh, like that's what happened to me yeah. was me growing up in foster care yeah. in, or in foster care and then mm-hmm. like with my mom and kind of like the relationship she was in and yeah. the decisions she made i didn't want to make those same mistakes mm-hmm. that she made so i've, I've made it a point to mm-hmm. not to not make my life that because i don't want my kids to have to grow up in yeah. foster care and yeah kind of go through the same things I went through. Yeah, I get it. And I I adore that about you. In fact, I was kind of bragging on you before I came (laughs) to my husband. I'm like, man, David is like, you know, it's admirable. I'm just going to say that. And so thank you. And thank you for um, using your adversity to be, because that's what it's about. We use our pain. There's purpose in our pain. You know, the reason you have this rising above podcast is because you've had some experiences to say, you know what? Hey, you can rise above it. And I'm not the only one that has an interesting story, but I'm going to create this awesome platform to invite other people who have an awesome testimony too. So thanks. Absolutely. And one thing I've realized by doing this podcast is I, my story, is nothing compared to a lot of these people <laughs> who've come on. I'm like, I seem normal compared to these people. And we all have <laughs> diverse stories, yeah. you know, because and that's like what's cool. Yeah, your yeah. story is definitely helping a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had a lot of people reach out to me and thank me for doing it. And um, it wasn't, e- it's not an easy thing to do. It's never an easy thing to put your stuff out there. I mean, you know, you're doing it right now. Yeah not easy thing to yep. talk about it's not but it's, it's not it's something that needs to be done so that it can help somebody who's possibly in the same situation exactly. or have gone through the same thing so at some point you lost your your, your child into foster care right I uh, did. at what point was that was it after your incarcerations was it before so david interestingly enough this is the very – I've been interviewed a lot. Have you? I have. For I've what? been on a lot of podcasts. Really? I've had – Which podcasts? Local ones? Local ones, yeah. I've had a lot of local podcasts interviewed. Were you on America? Um, I have not, but I was recently on um, with Jerry, um, okay. Jerry Norris, yeah. and um, I have had some um, – Newspaper interviews um, through uh, New Citizens Press with Rena Risper. Um, I've had some Lansing State Journal a few years ago. Cool. And just, but in all, I've even written a book about my life. What's uh, the book called? My book is called A Wonderful Change. And where can you find that? And you can find that book on Amazon.com or you can go to my website, which is. Um, which is love <laughs> <laughs> lovecovers.org, and it's just kind of a hub to everything creative that I do. So when you sell that book, you get the money for it? I do. I okay. get the money for it. Um, it depends on what type of – 
work that I'm in the vein of because if I'm in the vein of something else that ties into some of the stories in my book that I'm sharing, I give a percentage to an organization oh, that cool. yeah. So like when I had my book release, yeah, I talked um well my book talks a lot about my experience with domestic abuse and how I was affected and how I was the aggressor, right? Well affected as whole. Right. And so um because part of my testimony was about staying at various domestic abuse shelters I then sent 20% of all of my proceeds, all of my proceeds, um, directly to the actual shelter that I stayed at. Oh, you wow. know, so again, just sweet. Oh my goodness! So just really being full circle about you know my experiences, right. giving back to the areas in which I experienced some hardships. So you haven't actually made any money off of it. So no, I have. You um, have. Okay. I'm in my fourth print now. Well, okay. I'm going towards my fourth print. Um, I okay. just literally, I literally sold my last book of my third print yesterday. And keep in mind, my um, first print was in 2009. Okay. So, I mean, 2019, sorry. Oh, okay. 2019. Okay. Yep, so I'm on my fourth print now. So that means I'm going on 400 books sold. And that ain't a lot, but like two. That's a lot. Is it? That's a lot. Okay. <laughs> Think about, like, if 400 people listen to this podcast, yeah. each one of them has heard your story. Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, that's that a is lot true. of people. That's yeah. a lot of people. That is true. Yeah. So, I, um, yeah, I just um, do what I'm supposed to do when it comes to sharing my work. I don't think of my experiences, any work that I do as far as um, being tied into my experiences. Mm -hmm. I try not to look at it as um, a monetary gain or a, right. a success tool because right. – I have a great entre entrepreneurial position. Yep. God has put me in a great place of being able to have a position for myself right. and positions for others. So when it comes to my music, when it comes to my book, when it comes to my, because um, I do um, spoken word poetry too, so I write poetry and do performance. Per where do you perform it? So I am a little slow in the game, just a little bit, because I have so much going on and I have to be <laughs> careful to balance but um, I have, I was able to participate in the Juneteenth um, spoken okay. word night that was um, hosted by Miles Johnson at the Urban at Urban Beats at okay. Juneteenth. And so that was a wonderful night. Full band, shout out to the Corzo band. They were <laughs> out there jamming that night. And so that was one of my first times to share some spoken word. Um, I was okay. able to take the stage at Juneteenth and share some spoken word poetry. And um, as I mentioned earlier in the interview, tomorrow I'll be at um, I'll be at Bless Fest and I'll be okay. sharing song and spoken word there. But all of that is ministry. I don't um, I don't believe in over promoting. Um, I believe in doing things. You you plant the seed. You allow other people to water it, and God gives the increase. I don't look at my work as a way to just get um, popular right. or, you know. Yeah. So I am proud of those um, 300 books sold going into be. 400 with that fourth um, print. It'll be more, this, this next print will be more of a deluxe edition because okay. my life has grown two years since then. And so there are some untold stories um, that have happened. Even some of the stories that I've told in my book, um, I just kind of looking back, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. Hmm. And some stories I wish I could um, elaborate more on, or rather say I'm going to elaborate more okay. on. 
Um, one really being, because I spent a lot of time, I think I just kind of rushed it. I'm just going to be honest. I, I rushed it. Um, it was kind of a time sensitive situation as we moved on. And I think I just really missed a lot of intimate points that right. I could have made. Um, because even though my childhood was full of hardships, full of inconsistency, full of um, instability, there were some precious times that I remember with my mother, you know, mm. that I wish I could have really just elaborated on. So this next time around, I do want to share about how my mom really did impact me in ways that I use to this day. I didn't think it mattered much then because all I saw was the hurt, the pain and right. all of that. But there are a lot of ways that I use about my parenting, in my parenting, even though my mom was struggling, that she used with me that I carried on into my marriage and into my family that worked like never before. Some of the most important pieces of my family, which is prayer and togetherness mm -hmm. and being together and just sticking together, you know, as much as you can control. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um. So you you released the book in 2019. What was that process like? Um, as far as writing, did you work with uh, a publishing company? Mm -hmm. uh, was it local? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I did work with a local publishing company. Okay. Shout out to Gemstones Publishing, okay. um, Reverend Mary Harris. And she did help me a lot in that process. Um, again, I just was in a different space at that time. And... What, what were you trying to achieve by writing the book? Mm -hmm. What was your goals? <sighs> that is a, you asked the greatest questions, <laughs> David. <laughs> yeah. So my goal in writing the story is sometimes when you've had really, um, when you've had really intense moments in life, sometimes you feel like you're alone. And at, in 2019, I had grown to be this polished person that people who did not know me outside of church or outside of the professional world thought that I was just some nice little old church lady <laughs> that, <laughs> that went around delivering meals to people and working in the pantry and, you know, just this devoted wife and mom because me and my husband are really tight. And I um, testify a lot about our closeness and how our family works and how it works and all that. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just, I was almost irritated by how good people thought I was. And I'm like, you know what? I'm really not that good. So if you knew the hardships that I had to overcome mm -hmm. to get here, hopefully right. it will help you glorify God and develop your own relationship and work towards those same victories. Not my same testimony, but the same victory. You can have victory, too, because sometimes people lose hope by looking at people and thinking that they're so perfect. Right. And they say, oh, you don't know because I was in foster care or I was like locked up or I lost my son or I got stabbed or I stabbed someone or all this other long laundry list of right. reasons to say, hey, you're not who I am. So don't tell me I can be like you because you don't have the story that I have. Right. But then yeah. that's where I come in and say, hey, bro. You hey, sis. Story. Yeah. You know, in fact, in fact, I do have that story and you still can come out on the other side if 
you like you said you realize you have a problem and you go to the core of that problem and you start making changes towards the betterment the the outcome you know the transformation of it all when you make the decision it doesn't matter what's in your background you can absolutely change if you have a mind to absolutely Mm -hmm. just put your mind to anything you can accomplish it absolutely yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um so at what point uh, we kind of got way off track. <laughs> okay. Uh, at what point did you did you lose your kids? How many kids did you lose to foster care? So, uh, at that time, so I was a teen parent. So okay, okay that part was all shit too. <laughs> <laughs> that was another contributing factor to um, just how hard it was. I got pregnant when I was sixteen. I had them when I was 17. By 19, I was chasing after love, which mm-hmm. I thought was love, and it wasn't love. And um, in the, it all kind of ties together because the incarcerations and all that was kind of in the same vein of things. Um, but I did. I. I was already kind of just on the verge or just in the process of just being a neglectful parent. You call a spade a spade. I'm mm-hmm. not going to say, oh, well, the system came to my door for no reason. Right. They had a reason to come. I gave them a reason to come, and I confirmed it when they came. However, the fair, the unfairness that came about in the whole process was, okay, I know I have a problem. I made some mistakes. Now my son has been removed from me at this point just in foster care. In that same um, vein of things, and I can't remember, I can't remember, David, it might take me too long to, I will almost have to like sit and really think in my head if I was incarcerated before that happened or if I wasn't. I want to say that I wasn't. I was not incarcerated when all of that happened. But I became incarcerated shortly after it happened. I mean, like, literally shortly, shortly, within weeks or a month. Do you think that that incident sent you spiraling kind of out of control? Oh, David, we're going to get to that point, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to rush it. (laughs) No, you're fine. You're so fine. And so... I was already in a position where my son had just recently been introduced to the foster care system, and then I had made a decision to respond very violently to um, being assaulted because I was assaulted first, and I responded by um, stabbing the girls that assaulted me. And so I went to jail. Well, by the time I went to jail, I had already been to court a little bit in the process of my son. Mm -hmm. And they had only given me, no, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry, David. No, 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 no. It's backwards. I was, the foster care system had only given me a year to fight for my son to get him back. Well, I was already incarcerated. So I was. I was already incarcerated. And they gave me a year to get him back. Well, that was almost like double jeopardy because, remind you, I had already said I was incarcerated. I was, I was, I was um, sentenced to a year. Right. I was sentenced to a year in the county, and then you go to family court to fight for your life of having your son, and 
that give me the same amount of time to get my son back that I was incarcerated. Right. So, like, what the heck? Just tell me you're not going to give me a chance because how do you give me a year to get my son back, but I have 10 months? Well, at that point, it was a year because the good time hadn't even kicked in. Okay. And so you give me a year to get him back, but I'm also sentenced to a year. Like, what the heck? Okay, so that did. That zapped all of the enthusiasm out of me to try. This is what I'm curious, because you're the first person I've had on the podcast since I started the podcast that has lost a kid to foster care. Mm-hmm. And th- I've I've been wanting to ask this question for a long time. Mm-hmm. What is that like as, as a mom to lose your kid n- and not knowing what is to come as far as, you know, will you ever see him again? Um, what is that like? What is what was that moment like for you when when you realized that you weren't going to see your kid again? And I'm sorry if this is a difficult question. It's okay, David. It's difficult, but it's it's necessary. Um, so when he was taken away from me, I didn't necessarily think that I would never see him again because I really didn't think that I was that bad of a parent that my son would be taken away from me for so long that he'd be a younger adult before I'd see him. But when my son got taken away from me, um, it opened up um, feelings of suicide. I wanted to die. I just wanted to die. Um, I knew I already felt rejection just being in foster care myself. But I had grew out of that um, because it, I felt healed just by, you know, like, wow, I'm a parent now. I have my own kid. I can try the best that I can for my child. But when he was taken away, that was all I had. He was, he was my whole family. And I just wanted to die. I hated people, which is probably why I responded Um in the way that I did to a lot of stuff that happened to me, David, I um, I did try to kill myself. I didn't just feel suicidal. The same type of gun that I had at school when I was 13 years old or so was the same type of gun that I put to my head in a local hotel and I still had a lot of resentment towards my mother. And I talk about all this in my book. And I wanted her to witness me killing myself because I felt like she was the reason um, for my son being taken away from me. And that's a whole different story. And you have to buy my book, too. I w- I'm going to buy that. <laughs> and... At that point, I got on my knees, and I took that gun, loaded Glock 9, safety off, no scientific reason why that gun didn't go off. And I tried to shoot myself. I, and the gun wouldn't go off. I was taking the gun, and I was banging it on the table, and I'm yelling at my mother, and she's freaking out, and she's praying, and she's asking God to help 
and she just hung up on me and she called the police. And they came to that hotel. They evacuated the hotel. It was on the news that night. It was like men in black. <laughs> they, they opened the door and they said, come out with your hands up. If you come out with the gun in your hand, we will shoot you. And I said, okay. I knew I didn't want to die because I would have did something stupid mm -hmm. for them to kill me. Right. And I knew I didn't want to die. But I just felt so much pain like, oh, my gosh, you're such a reject. You Nobody wants you. Then you lose your kid. And then now you're in this position. So <laughs> I was at the lowest that I could possibly be. And in that moment, you talk about grace, you talk about mercy. I've had so much grace and mercy in my life that it has shown me to be merciful to others because a person at that point that had the violent background that I had, a person that already had a background of having that same type of gun in their possession, the police who I thought hated me, the police that I thought felt nothing about me was the same actual police that in that I'll never forget the police officer was taking me downstairs and he looked at me and he saw how broken I was and I was weeping and I was so heavy and he said what's wrong something's wrong he knew that I wasn't some crazed maniac that just wanted to take a gun and blow my brains out he knew that there was some psychology behind all of that anxiety and he took the time to actually ask me what is wrong with you and that was the first time that I felt like somebody cared in that vein of feeling like nothing and I said sir they just took my son from me I'm, I'm, I'm a hot girl. I'm on the run from people who literally looking for me in the streets for some of the stuff that I've done. They took my son from me. I got warrants. I'm just going to end up being locked up anyway, you know, but I'm hurting. And he looked, I'll never forget, David. I talk about it in my book. The man looked at me and he said, I wish I knew his name. He said, you know what? You're not a criminal. You're not a bad person. You're just hurting and you need help. And at that point, they, they sent me to community mental health. And that's where they set me up to get help, but it wasn't really the help I needed because they wanted to make me crazy. Right. They wanted to make it seem like I had all these issues that was so heavy that only medica medicine could fix it. Mm -hmm. And it, I wouldn't recommend this to anybody, but because I had a relationship with God, even in that worst of moments, I knew that the medication wasn't what was going to fix it. And so every day that I had to go out there with people rocking back and forth, oh, people running through the hall naked, screaming obscenities, cursing me out for no reason. They wasn't in their right mind, and God bless them, but I wasn't one of them. I had a bunch of baggage that I needed somebody to help me therapeutically mm -hmm. unpack. And so every day I would go out there and I would put that pill under my tongue and I remember in jail, they would make you stick your tongue up and do all that and all that. <laughs> they didn't make me do that in CMH. And I would go back to my room. 
and I would spit it out every time because I said, I said, is this what's making these people like they are? I said, I don't want to be one of them. God, if you could fix me, fix me. And so by the grace of God, I can't even tell you anything that I did um, by the books or by strategy or whatever. Mm -hmm. There was no strategy to it other than trusting God. And I knew I didn't want to be like that. And so it wasn't that instance that I ultimately changed and that the transformation came. But that was one part of it. It was a very integral part of me realizing that I wasn't crazy and that I just needed a different type of help. Right. So did you seek out any other help after that? Mm -mm. No. In fact, um, it didn't get better. <laughs> I was <laughs> like 20 years old when that happened. Oh, man. So like life, the, 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 the um, stab incident hadn't happened at that point um okay. i hadn't even gotten to some of the other things that i had experienced in my life but um no it was i was on a downward spiral um even from that point it was probably when i became pregnant with my second son who is 19 that um i realized that even after having my oldest son removed from me and actually being adopted and not having my rights terminated mm -hmm. to him, um, I had so many naysayers saying, you know what, you won't ever, if you have any other children, you won't, the system, the way that the system is set up, you won't get your children back. Yeah. Um, you won't, <laughs> and the system was set up like that. The Connie Binsfield legislation says, that after um, you've had a child removed and, and they were adopted, that the Binsfield legislation comes in to investigate and or remove every child thereafter. Mm. And so... Um, regardless of your, of your status. Uh-huh, regardless of your status. They come and investigate every time, and that happens. And you can't have your kids at that point? Oh, well, or absolutely, because I, my, my other children that I had uh, were never removed from Okay. Me. Okay. But they did come investigate. Every single time. I don't time. care. Every single time. I don't care if I was married, if I was. And so that made me look into how broken the Michigan um, foster care system is, how broken it is that they're removing children and um, sending them into adoption and not really giving the resources to the parents to really rehabilitate themselves to get the children right. back, right? Because right. that's kind of what happened to me. Ain't no kind of to it. That's what happened to me. You sentenced me to the same time that I'm incarcerated, so you're not even really giving me right. room for improvement. Yeah. And so I w my mind was blowed, um, blown. Uh, during the pandemic, when the first when the pandemic first hit, everybody was at home. We had a lot of time, and for some reason, I was really inclined to know where the child welfare system was at, and it broke my heart to see how David is crazy. Children are not being reunited in the time that Michigan mandates that they shoot for that one year that children are reunited. Mm -hmm. They were showing a shortage of um, people that weren't even available. Drivers, for instance drivers to take foster kids to meeting points even with their parents so mm. parents were meeting reunification times with their children because the state didn't have enough drivers or they weren't equipped or whatever and it was just so much brokenness that I said, my Lord, I have to share my story because if people keep thinking that I'm so good, you won't you won't 
know what areas that I have experienced that are still a thing today that still need attention and help. Right. So, yeah, it's my story gets really deep, David, and I've <coughs> I don't think I've ever been as emotional as I uh, <laughs> just got today. But it felt good to get it out because um, it is a very, very sensitive subject to talk about. But um, I am glad to say that my hope never fizzled out um, even after my son was adopted. Um, for years, I would fight to try to see if we could even just see each other. I would look for him at stores and stuff mm. and think I would see him. And, oh, that kid looks like him. One time, David, I did see him in the newspaper. He was, oh, in, the, he was in the newspaper with his, for his first grade class. And um, it, was, it was such a joy to me because I hadn't seen him, and I knew it was my baby. Even though I hadn't seen him since he was two or three years old, he was six or seven at that time, and wow. I saw him, and they changed wow. his name and everything, and I knew it was my baby. And I held on to that name until, I was, until he was old enough for me to look him up. And I didn't even, this is how good God works, because I kept saying, I said, when my son turns 18, I'm going to be able to look him up. And God is going to put him back in my life. I didn't even have to work that hard. When my son, four months before he turned 18, I was sitting in my office doing work per usual. And I get a call from a girl that hadn't seen my son since he was about six months old wow and at 18 years old she took one look at him she said dara i know it's him she said if you're okay with it is it okay if i probe more information to put the two of you in contact with each other and so i was a little doubtful at first and i said no i've heard that before i got all excited it wasn't him and she said dara i really have a feeling in my heart i know it's him and make a long story short that was six years ago and me and my son are reunited. What was that like? What was that moment like? Did he call you? Did he? Did you meet him in person? So. What was the first time you talked to him? Yeah. What was that like? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I talked to him um, on the phone, and it was nervous. It was a very nerve wracking, but it was nerve wracking with excitement, um, because that phone call was following. So I'm sorry. The first communication was a letter, mm. because. There's still a process because even though I felt entitled to reuniting with him, I knew there was still a process of respect and I didn't want right. to I didn't want to impose any disrespect on anybody. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, let me find a way to reach out to his parents because they're his parents. Right. And I reached out to them and it was all orchestrated by God. They worked hand in hand with me. They did everything that they could to assist me. She even, the mom even told me that she had always told him that he was adopted and that she would reunite him with his family when the time uh -oh. came. Yep. And it didn't even have to get to that because someone was already lined up to put together the pieces. Right. And I am still very grateful for everyone that had a role in our reunification because it was truly um, a 15-year prayer answered. For 15 years, I woke up every day wondering. I didn't let it drive me crazy. For about 10 years, I did let it drive me crazy. Mm -hmm. But when God was showing me that he did um, entrust me with his, when he gave me another child, and he showed me that I was entrusted to be a good steward over this perfect life that he blessed me with, I had to change my focus because if I was so focused on the pain that I experienced from losing him, 
him and the the excitement of reuniting with him, I would have been off balance for um, raising the child that I had. And then after that, I had gotten married and had another child. So I had to stay focused on what was before me so I right. could be prepared for what was to come. Yeah, you can't you can't can't hold hold on to that you have to in a sense move on yeah um don't forget but move on yeah so you can grow yeah yeah i, I kind of have the same situation right now because yeah. i have a, a kid a son that i'm not allowed to have anything to do with mm-hmm. and um so you know i think about him every single day yeah. I, don't, I don't know him i've never met him um but i've tried to you know get get some sort of uh some s- establish some sort yeah. of um guardianship or whatever and mm-hmm. the court didn't work in my favor but um, because of that, you know, I, I, I can't hold on to that. I mm-hmm. have to continue to move on, and That's one right. day, hopefully, we'll reunite. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's the attitude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I kind of want to move our, your story along because yeah. we're, I think we're, we're, we're an hour and fifteen minutes in. Wow. <laughs> yeah. This it is insane. It doesn't seem like it. This is insane. <sighs> we might it have to do part two. We're gonna time. have to do a part yeah, two. Yeah. I, I would love to have you yeah. back on. Um. So at what point did you decide or did your life start to change into where you kind of ended up where you are now? Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's a good way to close that out. So in 2010, I found myself um, walking down the aisle. Dun, 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 dun. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and that was um, – a miracle in <laughs> itself because I was at a point for so long of thinking I'd never be married. I was too messed up. Who would want me? You can't even take care of your kid. Like, who really wants to make you their wife? And when God restored my confidence, he brought someone in my life that um, either, even though it was a quirky process of how he was brought into my life, God allowed it. And I said, Lord, since you allowed this, I'm going to do everything I can possibly do to glorify your name in this process of transformation because even marrying my husband was in the process of transformation. And my husband is um, my greatest supporter, my number one cheerleader. He is um, certainly through the grace of God. He is the reason I'm an entrepreneur right now because when we married, I was a person that just really had a good heart and wanted to be a mom and a wife and, you know, help him as much as I could. Mm -hmm. And even though I didn't have a business background, I really didn't have a background of um, anything conducive to help him move forward with his business. However, he believed in me and just that very act of um, kindness and him showing me that he believed in me every day I woke up and I said how am I going to show him that his believing in me isn't in vain and so I would find myself trying to do any little thing that I could for his business because he's the brainchild behind wise man tree experts Mm. and so I worked as much as I could to show him that, you know what, if you give me a chance, it'll be a chance that you will never regret. And so I started out by answering the phone and just, I mean, little stuff, which has snowballed into us literally being business partners where we're actually share in the business, um, that we work together. We started out, um, when I came on the scene, we had about 700 customers, which I think was pretty impressive at that time. Really impressive. He had been in business for about seven years. And so 
seven or eight years. And today we have served over 3,000 customers wow. after 20 years of business. Wow. And just by having someone believe in me and say, you know what, you're not your past. I can help you. I believe in you. And so when he gave me that room for growth, that just catapulted things. We became um, partners in ministry where we help a lot at our church, in our community, in our business, in our family. And that has resulted in me starting my own grassroots projects by way of my book and my spoken word poetry and my music and now Love Covers, which is the hub and home of everything um, everything creative that I do. Yep, so. Let's talk about that for a minute. Uh-huh. When did that come about? Love Covers? Yes. Yeah, so Love Covers came about, and it kind of was a thing before it was a thing because we would always just do these um these ministry projects where we would help the community do stuff where you wouldn't really find much donations for like you can go and get a can of soup before you can get socks underwear and t-shirts so we would do stuff like that for the community and school age kids and stuff and then i was uh, then i get got into my book and all that and then so in 2019 i was consulting with one of my good friends who was actually a new friend um now, this was more in 2020, but a friend that said, Dara, you have a lot going on. It's a lot about you that you kind of need to just make love covers the nucleus of everything creative that you're doing. Make it the home of what you're doing. So shout out to Miles Johnson because he did give me that idea to, you know, make everything under the umbrella of love covers but yeah love covers became a thing in late 2019 and then four months after that um the pandemic hit and i mean everything worked for a reason um through the pandemic i have just been building my brand and really trying to brainstorm really what is love covers all about and um, we've done a lot of strategic planning and from that we have birthed um i have a, a health and fitness a uh, group on Facebook where I lost 40 pounds, so I use oh. everything. Yeah, everything that I did that was um, conducive to me um, having that progress and success with there, helping people live healthier lives. Um, through my book, I share my testimony about how you can come from the other side of hardness into great um, achievement through God, you know. So it all kind of started for me and my own or- organic grassroots projects really more so in 2019 is when things started to pop off and I'm just glad that I have um, trustworthy people and good people that mm-hmm. I can work with like you you <laughs> know to partner with and be able yeah. to share my story and let people know who I am and what I'm doing and how we can work together absolutely uh, that is awesome so where do you see uh, love covers uh, going in the near future mm-hmm Yep, I see Love Covers going far, um, going far in... I'm sorry, mm-hmm. it, it's a business, right? It is a business. So how does it operate as a like from a business perspective? Yep, so although a lot of our initiatives tend to lean more towards nonprofit, um, okay. like with Working Undercover is what the Undergarments in- Initiative is okay. called, um, but there are some for-profit, like uh, the book and the CD, right. and I also offer um, I see, I fashion see. consulting. Okay. So it is a business. Um, I do a lot of public speaking. When I won't say a lot, but when I'm called, I'll um, do 
some public speaking and share my testimony. Um, so there is on my website a tab where you can fill out the form and request me to come speak at your event. You can clip the, uh, click the tab for shopping where you can see all of our featured fashions. Wow. Um, and then I also have a tab called God's Power, which um, highlights not just my testimony, but testimonies of other people like okay. you and me who have dynamic testimonies that other people absolutely have to hear right. to help them in their um, belief and healing process. That's cool. Yeah. That is really cool. So where do you see this going in the near future? Yeah. I w or what is your hopes? Yeah. Okay. So my hope is that it just um, grows just as it has been growing now. I don't really have, um, when I think, I don't really tie success with love covers. Because some for some reason when I think success, I think me. You know, uh, <laughs> and so if if there is a lot of success tied to love covers, I really, really hope and pray it's the success and transformation from other people, because I truly believe that success is not success if you're not helping someone else grow. I'm not successful if I haven't helped someone else grow. Mm -hmm. So I'm just praying that um, love covers continues to be um a network really a, a hub of a networking platform to be able to link with other business owners my my facebook page i use to highlight other business owners i've shared a lot of your podcasts on really? there yeah oh yeah yeah i've shared awesome. yeah because i want to be love covers love covers what love covers everything love covers a multitude of sins you know so i want love to cover everything that i do it's not about my success it's mm -hmm. about looking out for other people so if i see a story out there that's like wow if it affected me like that let me put it on <laughs> love covers so right. people that are following me can find out who you or they are and they can click like and follow and be tied into right. so i just really love covers is successful when it makes an impact to people that follow us that's the only success that i'm looking for so i'm just praying that um not necessarily for growth but really for endurance that we are here and that we're here to stay and that we continue to make an impact to all those who check in with us i think that's extremely important um because that's one thing a lot of people like like people get like a like a like a competition aspect to things like like oh well there's another podcast out there yeah. oh, now they're gonna take my listeners mm -hmm. or whatever but the thing is is like with with like doing podcasts or like you sharing my stuff or me sharing your stuff yep. it's bringing everybody around you up and yeah. it's not taken from anybody absolutely you know you're still there your content's still there people yep. still listen mm -hmm. you know it's not you're not you're not fighting for this this ground you exactly know? exactly so. in fact tomorrow um at bless fest i have a short segment for um a fashion show and although i have some pretty dope fashions <laughs> to show for fall i did incorporate um fashions from two other businesses to show in that lineup because again my i don't have to bully my ways to success right. you know it's there i just have to align with it right. and i think aligning with it is through working with other people right absolutely i had um erin meadows on the podcast okay. i don't know if you know who she is she's a local business owner of abundance cafe and uh sounds good to me <laughs> <laughs> her food looks really good i need wow. to i need to order some but um she she was saying how she um 
when she sells her food, she'll also uh, sell like sauces and stuff from other companies, like local business, local businesses. I and love it. She said when she starts a, a storefront, she's going to sell sell other businesses like I love it. merchandise as well. Yeah. And I'm like that. That's so awesome because yep. a lot of times you see these businesses, they're like they're competing with these other businesses, and they don't. They're like, no, I don't want anything to do with them. Yeah. But if you're bringing everybody up around yep. you, then you can only rise that's from there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's the way to think. Um, is there anything you would, or anything else you want to talk about? Anything you want to mention? Any, is there any, any messages of positivity you want to put out there? Well, if there's any message of positivity, well, first I'll say, um, whatever else I got going on, I'm going to save it for part two. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. But if there's any message of positivity or hope that I would want to leave, um, for someone else is to run your race, run your race without looking in the stands. Don't listen for a cheer. Don't listen for a boo. You just run your race to the finish line and then you can turn around and rejoice, but just run without distraction. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. I think we should end it there. <laughs> cool with me. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. I really appreciate thank it. You for um, this me. was a great conversation. Yeah. You made me emotional when you were crying. Because um, I I can understand the, ex- the exact feelings you were having, but from the opposite perspective, mm-hmm. because I was the child in that position. Mm-hmm. And um, much like that situation, I. Um, I ended up finding my mom too and I you know I remember having to call her and that it was just like a surreal moment so like you expressing your emotions yeah. you know kind of like kind of brought these feelings up that yeah. I had <laughs> and that my eyes were getting all teary-eyed and yep. whatnot but yeah. I really appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing. Thank you David. Thanks for having me. Yep, thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs>